If your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 16, I want you to notice a verse that most of us read but don't notice. As many of you know, this has been a difficult health week. I got not one but uh, two ambulance rides this week to the hospital because of the the chest pains. I was taken directly out of doctor's offices, and uh, they ran all the tests, and they didn't find any answers for it. Uh, besides the, the chest pain, the other issue that I've struggled with this week more than most is not being able to sleep at night. And no matter what I take, uh, it just does not work, and I, I'm wide awake. And most nights, uh, I've gotten one, maybe two hours total scattered here and about. Lord is gracious, last night, uh, I got about six hours straight in a row, and I'm very thankful for that this morning. And I don't know about you, um, I, I like my sleep. Uh, I'm, I'm at that age where naps are my favorite sport, uh, and it just, it just didn't come. And sometimes, you know, we get frustrated, at least I do, because I know I've got a busy day ahead of me, and I wish uh, the pain would subside. I wish that I could just go to sleep, and I don't understand why not. But the older I get, the more I realize that oftentimes when God keeps me awake at night, it's because he has something he wants to talk to me about. Uh, sometimes it's somebody to pray for. And uh, you don't know how many times I've lifted up the names of people scattered all over this room, uh, some of our shut-ins, and just felt like I'm just supposed to pray for so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, so I'm going to use that time wisely. But it was, uh, it was Wednesday, and I had uh, been to the hospital again and spent several hours, and they had no answers and sent me home. And it was that one of those nights where there was no sleep that came and as I was just kind of laying there trying to figure it all out, the Lord brought this portion of Scripture to my mind. I love it when he does that. By the way, he can't bring Scripture to your mind if you haven't put any Scripture in your mind. Um, but it's, it's this portion of Scripture, and it's a verse that I'm going to draw your attention to just in a, in a moment. And I just laid there thinking the whole scenario and, and letting the truth of it just wash over me. And, and I was alone in my room and I was crying. I wasn't crying because I hurt. I wasn't crying because I was tired. I was crying because I was so overwhelmed with the reality of this, this Bible truth. It was one of those moments where I didn't want to go to sleep. I, I just wanted to stay awake and revel in the goodness and the mercy of Almighty God. Allow me to set the stage for you this morning, and then we're going to step into the message, if you would. It is the dawn of resurrection morning. Somewhere in the city of Jerusalem, the disciples of Christ had, had gathered after the cross, and they were huddled there in that place. Uh, the Bible tells us that they were there uh, in John chapter 20. They were assembled there for fear of the Jews. Peter and James and John and Thomas and Andrew and so forth. These were men that had walked with Christ for some three and a half years. They had learned that they could trust him and when he was around, nothing could harm them. They had watched him calm the storms on the sea on more than one occasion just by saying, peace, be still. And just like that, the waves were gone and the wind had died down. 
They had watched him walk across the waves of the water. They had watched demons tremble in his presence. They had watched him raise the dead and heal the sick. They had seen multitudes come against him. They'd seen his enemies come against him and he never flinched in, in none of that. He'd empowered them and they had gone out in the name of the Lord Jesus and they too had preached the gospel and they too had healed the sick and they too had seen the demons flee at the power of the name of Christ and when he was with them they were brave and they were strong but he's gone they watched him die they couldn't understand why didn't he stand up for himself why didn't he call the 12 legions of angels from his father and, and have those enemies wiped out why didn't he do that why did he just meekly go as a sheep led to the slaughter and by the way that's what the cross was it was slaughter. It, it was not some simple little thing like we sometimes see in a statue or a, a, a painting. It was slaughter. It was a sight that would have made us sick to the stomach. It was something from which we were to turn, turned aside in disgust and revulsion. And that was their Lord. They had believed that he was the Christ, the Messiah. And in their heart of hearts, they feel like maybe he let them down. Maybe they were wrong. Three long days, the Bible says they were there mourning, gathered in that room. The doors were barred, the windows were barred and closed. Every sound in the street terrified them for fear that it was the tramp of the soldiers coming to get them and put them through the same painful death they had watched Jesus go through. Gathered in that room was Mary. Say, how do you know that? Because from the cross, the Savior looked down and saw Mary standing beside the Apostle John. And he said, woman, behold thy son. And he said to John, behold thy mother. And the Bible says he took her from that day and he took her home. I think Mary was there. She was in that room. She knew him longer than anybody. She was there when the angel came and said he was coming she was there when the angel sang and said, he's come. She remembered the night that the shepherds came into the place where the, the baby lay and hearing their amazing story and their excitement. And, 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 and she saw them. The Bible says she kept all those things. She pondered them in her heart. You understand, she, she was there for his first miracle where, where he turned the water into wine. And can you see her sort of stand back just a little bit saying, that's my boy. That's my son. My son did that. We see her appear throughout the Gospels following Jesus around his, in his ministry. And there were times as a mother that she was afraid he was going to wear himself out. And that he needed to come, you, know, you need to rest. You need to take care of yourself. And, and of course, she was reminded when he was 12 years old, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business. But she had seen it all and she knew who her son was. And the angels had told her exactly who he was. She had no doubt about that. But can you imagine what the cross was like for her? Some of us have been there when a loved one has stepped out into eternity. And they breathe that final sigh, that final breath. And it's hard. Even if they're saved, it's heartbreaking. And we, we have a profound sense of loss. But for Mary, for Mary, how do you get those images out of your mind? How do you shut that movie from replaying itself over and over again? You see Mary there, and I see the Apostle John with his arm around her as her 
her body, she was probably in her 50s in that day and age. That was an older lady. The lifespan wasn't very, very long under, under Roman servitude. Can you just see that little lady as she shakes and sobs and tries to forget what she saw happen to her boy? And John, as the tears rolled down his face, he was one of the sons of thunder, he and his brother James. So bold and so forceful. And, and when, when the enemies at, at a city of Samaria wouldn't let Jesus pass through, John and James said, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy these sinners? And they were, they were so brave and outspoken. And that's all gone. The bravado's gone. The thunder's gone. There's just sorrow like they never knew existed. And he's trying to comfort a lady who's not his mother but now is, what words do you say? See, they didn't understand the resurrection yet. They didn't know what was about to follow. We know because we've read the story. We've heard the story. But you understand, in those three days, they, they didn't know what was about to happen on Sunday morning. They just didn't get it. And just, just see John as he's at a loss for words. Noticeably absent was Judas, the betrayer. They trusted him. The Bible says that he had the bag, meaning that he had the bag that, that kept all of their wealth, their money. That's what they used to buy food or if they needed lodging or something like that. Uh, that that's, that's what it was. They trusted Judas so much that they let him be their treasurer. In fact, even after Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me tonight, and he even said, it's going to be the one to whom I hand the sop, the piece of bread that you would sop up gravy with. He said, that's going to be the betrayer. He handed it to Judas, and Judas got up from the table just moments later and went out, and even then they didn't believe he could betray Jesus. They just thought he went out to buy more food. They trusted him so much, but then Judas showed up in the garden that night, and Judas was with the soldiers, and Judas was on their side. And Judas is the one that walked up and betrayed their Savior with a kiss and stepped back with the crowd. He's gone now. Can you see them looking at each other? How could we have missed it? How could we not have known these men that in the week before the cross have been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which one of us get to sit on the left hand and on the right, right hand of the Savior in his, in his kingdom? I, I think that's all gone because they don't see a kingdom in their future. I see a quiet place. Knowing human nature, there were probably some questions. I wonder if we could have done something. If, if only we'd have said, if only we'd have... They probably had those conversations. But I think sitting off all by himself, Tim, I need you. Sitting all by himself. Can you go down and sit on the first step over on that side? The other set of stairs. There's one man that's suffering in a way that the rest of them aren't. His name is Peter. Peter was inner circle. Peter, James, and John. How many times did Jesus call those three out in particular? Peter went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw the Savior transfigured. His deity broke through his humanity, and he was privy to that. 
Uh, they were part of that, that, that little prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane that the others weren't. Uh, Jesus had a way of calling Peter, James, and John out. And, and if you will, he was one of the, the, the privileged ones. And he knew a little bit more about the Savior than, than, than the others did. My namesake, Thomas, uh, he didn't know about the transfiguration until after the resurrection. They had no idea that that occurred, but Peter did. Peter saw it with his own eyes. Peter was the outspoken one in many, many cases. It was in Peter's house that they stayed when they were in the city of Capernaum. Peter. Peter was the one that the night before the cross, the Savior looked at him while the others were all gathered there and said unto him, Simon. And he called his name twice, Simon. Don't miss this. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. It was a moment for Peter to acknowledge the power of Christ, but Peter didn't. He answered, the Bible says in Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And I, I see Peter looking around the room. John might... John might be offended. He might walk away. He might deny you. Thomas, we know him. He's as handsome as can be, but he'll deny you. Uh, and, and I just see, though all men, in, in, in one of the Gospels, it put it this way, though all these, Peter did that. He was so confident that he, his love for Christ was, was so firm and so grounded, and, and, and he could never see himself denying Christ. And the Savior brought it back to him and said, no, Peter, you're wrong. Before this night is out, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I, I'm ready to go to jail. I, I'm ready to die for you. And by the way, the other guys chimed in about this time and said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're with Peter on that one. But I want you to understand, Peter was, Peter was the leader. Peter was the one that Jesus had the conversation with. Peter tried, God tried to warn him. Peter was part of the trio that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus left eight of the disciples by themselves. He took Peter, James, and John, and he brought them into his secret place of his heart. And he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. This burden that I'm under, I just don't know if I'm going to survive till I get to the cross. I want you to pray for me. Can you imagine being drawn in by the Savior himself for such an intimate moment of prayer? Peter, Jesus went over about a stone's cast and he prayed. We think about an hour. And he came back and there was Peter, not just him, but James and John sound asleep sound asleep. Jesus woke them up and said, what, could you not watch with me one hour? I, 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 I've done all this for you. I've been here for you. I just need you to pray with me just one hour of your time. He said, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. And he's reminding Peter of that warning. And he went over and he prayed again and came back and sound asleep the second time. It happened again a third time. That was, that was Peter. Yeah, James and John were there. But remember, Peter was the one, I'll never deny you. I'll never be offended, though everybody else will. It was Peter. Peter, pride has a way of infecting every one of us, doesn't it? We see someone else mess up. Well, I would never do that. Oh, oh, be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. 
I think Peter wasn't lying when he said, I'll never deny you. He wasn't deliberately lying. He fully intended to be faithful and loyal, but when push came to shove, warming his hands by the fire outside the high priest's house, surrounded by some of the very soldiers that had arrested Jesus, Peter's warming his hands in their fire. And a woman came up and said, didn't I see you with him? And Peter, the man who said, I'll never deny him, said, I don't even know him. One. Short time later, a little maid came up, a little girl, said, didn't I see you with Jesus? Maybe she related some place she had been and heard Jesus preach or saw a miracle. And Peter immediately responded, I don't know him. Don't know him. Two. Somebody else come up and said, surely you're one of his followers. Your speech betrayeth you. It wasn't because he was there singing scripture songs. It's because he had the accent of a Galilean, the northern accent as opposed to the, the southern accent of, of Jerusalem and Judah. His speech was that of a Galilean. It said, surely you're one of them because he's from Galilee and you're from Galilee. And Peter was panicked that, at that moment. And he not only denied that he knew him, the Bible said this time he cursed. Peter, the inner circle guy, cursed denied his savior and just at the moment that he did so the bible tells us they were bringing jesus out from one trial leading him to his next one and as peter is denying the savior and he's cursing like a lost man he looks up and there is jesus jesus saw him and heard him and the bible just says the lord looked on him I wonder what that look conveyed. I wonder what it conveyed. Disappointment? I wonder how many times he's been disappointed in me. Anger? Frustration? Pity? I don't know. But he just looked at him and their eyes locked for just a moment. And Peter was just so overwhelmed with guilt. The reality of what he had just done overwhelmed him. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. We don't know where he went. He might have gone back to the Garden of Gethsemane and just cried and cried. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. I've cried tears of pain. I've cried tears of joy. I've cried tears of sadness, but I don't know if I've cried tears of bitterness before where, where there's something that's happened and oh, if I could just undo it. Oh, if I could just say it over again. Oh, if I could just turn back the clock and just have one more chance to do it right. And that bitterness of regret washed over Peter. I want you to understand for three days in that room after the, after the cross, Peter was in that room and I see Peter finding a place all by himself I see some of the others maybe looking at him and they might have said something and maybe they didn't but sometimes look can convey a lot yeah you'll never deny him yeah you said we would and then you were the one who did so human nature can be mean sometimes can't it even when pretending to be spiritual I see Peter. He's grieving the loss too. He's trying to erase the slaughter from his mind too. 
He's trying to deal with all of the aftermath too. He's scared to death too. He, he's got all of those things going on, but he's got his betrayal. Oh, it's not the same as Judas, but it was a betrayal nonetheless. Three long, horrible days. It's Sunday morning, dawn of the first day. Some of the women get up from the group and they get some spices together. Jesus was buried in a hurry because of the, because of the Sabbath. And uh, so they, they, they just put him in the grave, but they didn't do things right. And these ladies got the spices and everything that were a part of it. And they went out to the tomb with the intent that they were going to anoint him and do it properly and, and, and show him that much kindness and respect. I find it interesting that none of the men went. Just three or four of the ladies. And they come and they're talking and grieving and crying and their hearts are broken and they're, they're also wondering when we get there, 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 there's a stone in front of that tomb and how in the world are we going to move it? There's nobody up at this hour and as they approach it, they look in that massive stone. The Bible said we read it was very great, was rolled off to the side and they saw the opening of the tomb before them. And they stepped inside and they saw a young man sitting. He was an angel of the Lord. The Bible tells that in the other gospels. And they're terrified. He's not supposed to be there. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And the Bible says that they were affrighted. And he said, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. And every believer in this room ought to say, hallelujah. He, he is not there. He is risen. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Do you understand these ladies were the first people to know that the resurrection had happened? These were the first people to know that it wasn't over, that the end hadn't come every Everything was just beginning, that every promise that he had made about this was, was come to pass and he was risen and, and they, were, they, were, they were to be blessed by that. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Come look. If you don't believe me, just look. He's not here. Now look at verse seven in your Bibles, but go your way. Tell his disciples, next two words, church, and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. He wasn't saying that Peter wasn't a disciple. He was just saying, make sure Peter knows. See, I see Peter over here fully convinced that God hates him. Fully convinced that God's done with him. He gave up his livelihood. He gave up everything to follow Christ. And then he blew it in the crucial moment. And the Lord saw him. The Lord caught him. And I see Peter sitting over here. He'll never help me again. He'll never bless me again. How could I have messed up so bad? And Jesus said to those ladies, you go tell the disciples. And then I want you to walk across the room. And I want you to tell Peter, hey, Peter, Jesus told me to tell you that he's risen. Can you just grab a hold of that for a moment? See, Peter would have expected a lot of things from the Lord at that time in his life. If I were Peter, I would have expected God to be mad at me. I would have expected God to be done with me. I would have expected God to never talk to me again. I would have expected that God would just treat me as an outcast and a pariah for the rest of my life. But Peter found out that day that that's not how... God is. Amen. 
Peter was confronted with that simple message with this fact. Jesus loves you. He didn't get anger. He didn't get reproach, recrimination, accusation. All the things that we throw at ourselves and all the things sometimes that other people throw at us, that's not what he got from Jesus. What he got from Jesus, hey, Peter, I still love you. Hey, Peter, we're not done. We know that later that night, the Savior stepped into the room where the disciples were gathered and they got to see him for the first time. And Thomas wasn't there. And uh, there would be another night he'd get to meet him. Uh, But everybody except Thomas was there and Peter was in the room. But I want you to understand something happened to Peter before Jesus walked into that room. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Something else we don't often think about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is where the Bible sets forth the great declaration of the gospel. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which, I've, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye've believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 5. And that he was seen of. Give me another name for Cephas. Peter. He was seen of Cephas then of the twelve. How many have noticed that verse before? How many never have? Do you understand what the Bible says there? Before he went into the room where they were gathered that night, the ladies came back and said, we, 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 we saw an angel and the stone's gone. And can, can you imagine three women trying to talk? And if it was Trina, her hands are going all at the same time. And, and they're all talking over each other. Hey, he's risen. He's risen. We, we, we stepped inside. The body's not there. An angel. And, and they're going on and on. And the disciples, they, they couldn't believe it. Uh, they actually believed not for fear. They, they just couldn't believe that what they saw on the cross was now alive again. But somehow, between those ladies coming back that morning with that message and Jesus showing up to them that night, the Savior sought out Peter. I don't know where Peter was. I don't know if he had gone to pray somewhere or be alone. But the Bible said he was seen of Cephas. And Jesus came to him. Peter didn't come to Jesus. Peter didn't know where he was. Jesus came to him. I don't know what Peter thought. I just know what I would have thought. I'd have been saying, I'm sorry, a thousand times over. I'd have been asking for mercy a thousand times over. And Peter found all of that. And so much more. Because the Savior sought him out, and I believe with all of my heart, the Savior wanted Peter to know, I still love you, and I'll always love you. Come on, Peter. Let's go back. Peter came in contact with the love of God. He found out that God's love is a powerful, powerful love. He found out that the love of God cannot be insulted. 
Oh, it can be rejected, but it'll never be removed. Uh, it, it can be ignored, but it'll never be decreased. Peter had disappointed his Savior. He, he had let him down. He had failed. He had denied. He had cursed. He had lost his testimony. He'd blown it in, a, in, in the biggest way of his entire life. But he found that out that day, Jesus still loved him. I love the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. But the greatest song in all the world is as I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Peter found out that the, the, the love of God was a powerful love. And the devil wants to tell us when we've fallen and when we failed that it's all over. But I want you to understand something. You didn't do anything to earn the love of God and you don't have to do anything to keep the love of God. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That magnificent portion of scripture where the apostle Paul shouts out through the inspired word of God this very, very wonderful truth. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Oh, I know people will condemn us because we messed up. We failed. We did all of that. But uh, who is he that condemneth in, in the long run? It's Christ that died. He died for everything we're being condemned for. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes down the list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He's naming some of the worst things we can go through. Does that separate you from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that what? That loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, her Lord. It's a powerful love. The love of Christ was stronger than Peter's sin. And by the way, it's stronger than yours too. The love of Christ was greater than his grief. The love of Christ was unmoved by his denial. It was unaffected by his disloyalty. The love of Christ was more powerful than Peter's past. That's why Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Sometimes we find ourselves in Peter's seat over there and our past is always present. The love of Christ is bigger than that because when he said forgiven, it's as far as the east is from the west, buried in the depths of the sea. Those sins and iniquities, God who remembers everything will remember them no more. Not because he's forgetful, because he chooses to forget. That's the love of Christ. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's a love without limits. It's a love without an expiration date. It's a love without condition. My mom and dad were both born in 1926. Mom in January, my father in September. They grew up during the Great Depression. When my father was in the eighth grade at the age of 13, he was forced to quit school to go out and work on local farms to help support the family. My grandfather, his stepfather, was a coal miner who had gotten injured and was unable to work the way he used to to support the family. So dad had to quit work 
or quit school in the eighth grade to work full time. My dad was born out of wedlock. His mother did not marry his biological father. His stepfather hated him with a passion, would never adopt him, would never give him his name. And we learned after my dad's passing that all through my dad's childhood, he was abused, not in an immoral way. He was just neglected. He was beaten. He was beaten down. His stepfather hated him. His siblings were given the freedom to express the same disdain for him that the stepfather did. I never knew my step-grandfather. He passed away before I was born. But that's how my father was raised. He did not know what love was. So when he became an adult and got a family of his own, not only did he not understand what love was, he had no idea what love looked like. He had no idea how to show it. And as much as he hated what his stepfather was, he repeated some of those same things when he got his own kids. I never heard my dad tell me that he loved me until I was 17. It was the day he dropped me off at college, and the words I love you were, were mixed in with an insult, letting me know how disgusted he was that I was going to go to Bible college to be a preacher. That was the first time. In my life, I heard my dad say that I loved, he loved me. When I was 42 years of age, we had lived here for a year or two. I called my dad on Christmas Day to wish him a Merry Christmas. And I have no idea why. He just launched in and let me know how disappointed he was in me. And at the age of 42, I still was hearing, why can't you be more like your brother? That's how I grew up. Nothing I did was good enough. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's hard and it hurts. A couple years later, my dad was in the VA hospital in Pittsburgh. He had COPD, and that was where he would step out into eternity. He got saved before he passed away. He got saved actually when he was in college. But, but that, that part of his life, he just never got rid of. But in the last few months, he realized he made some mistakes and he tried to make some amends and so on and so forth, which was, which was great. The last time I saw him, I had gone in by myself. It's a 500-mile or 350-mile trip from here to there. And just as I was getting ready to leave, I'd been there for a couple of days, I said, Dad, can I have a word of prayer with you? And he reached out and he grabbed my hand. And he said, of course you can. You're my pastor. And I prayed with him, and I rushed to my car, and I just sat down and cried and cried and cried. Because I thought, I finally became worthy of his love. I finally earned his love. Would you understand something? God does not work like that. Amen. Too many people are laboring under the, the illusion that, that, that I don't deserve his love. Of course you don't. Nobody does. Peter didn't deserve it, but neither did John. And neither did James, and neither did Thomas. And none of them had denied him. None of them had cursed and swore, but they didn't deserve the love of God either. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. God loves us because he is love. 
And that love means I don't have to earn it. That means I don't have to buy it. I don't have to do a thing to keep it. It doesn't mean that I get to go out and live any way I want because after all, God loves me. That's not how love works. Uh, you, you don't let people you love do wrong and get away with it. It destroys them. But God loves me no matter what. He loves me when I'm doing right. He loves me when I'm doing wrong. And every now and then we just need to step back and we need to let the love of God just wash over us and just think to ourselves, I am so glad that our Father in heaven um, tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. It's a powerful love. It's a personal love. He didn't just say, go tell the disciples, and Peter's in the group, so it's a generic thing. Tell, the, tell his disciples and Peter. It's a personal love. When it says, for God so loved the world, that's personal. You ought to put your name in there, for God so loved Mark. I want you to do something. I want to take your Bible to open to Genesis chapter 1. Get a pen and pencil. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1. Right before that, word, that, that verse, I want you to write two words. Dear, D-E-A-R, and your first name. In my case, it would be Dear Tom, Dear Pastor. I want, you, I want you to do it. If you've got a pen or pencil handy. Dear Rich, Dear Tim. When you've done that, I want you to go to the back of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21. And after that verse, the final verse of the Bible, I want you to write two words. Love God. My pastor taught me to do that when I was a brand new convert as a teenager. He said, the Bible is God's love letter to you. See, I have a, I have a tendency to think that God loves other people more than me because they're better than me. They can do more than I can do. They haven't failed where I have failed and all of that kind of stuff. But that's not how God works. It's a, it's a personal love. God does not love Josh Shorey any more, any less than he loves Tom Bish. And that can be said of every one of us in this room. We tend to put people in a category where we, we love some people a lot and others we don't love much and others we tolerate and others we can't stand. God has no such category. He has no such category. Do, do, do you understand when he walked through the city of Jericho one day, most of the people weren't aware that up in that sycamore tree with its broad leaves there was a little guy. The Bible says short of stature. He was a publican. It means he was a tax collector. He was rich, and he had gotten his wealth by cheating people. He was corrupt, and everybody knew it, but he had the power of the Roman Empire behind him. He was a renegade Jew in the eyes of all those people. But Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus, wanted to see him, but nobody was going to let Zacchaeus get a view. Everybody was much taller than him, and he couldn't see. So he climbed up in this sycamore tree, and there he is in his, in his expensive clothing and all of that. All dignity is cast aside, just sitting up there, hoping that he's going to see this man Jesus walk underneath, and he'll get just a little bit of a glimpse of him. And all of a sudden, Jesus and the disciples with him just stopped dead in their tracks, and Jesus looked right up in the tree. And he called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. It's a personal love. It's a personal love. Just let that sink in for a little bit. Jesus loves me 
this I know. The devil wants us to believe that he doesn't or he doesn't love us as much as somebody else. That's just not Bible. It's a purifying love. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he took Peter not quite aside. It was in front of all the other disciples. They were sitting by the Sea of Galilee. The disciples had fished all night and it, they hadn't gotten anything. It was not a real good night. And when they came, there was Jesus sitting and he had a little fire built and there he had cooked some fish and had some bread and stuff. He said, come on, fellas, come and dine. Sit down with me, let's eat. And they're, they're having breakfast there with the Savior. And Jesus looked over at Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, Lord, I love you. I think he meant it. I think he meant it. I think he was overwhelmed by the fact that after the resurrection, he was the first one Jesus sought out. But Jesus still loved him, and he said, yeah, I love you. We're not sure if there was any more conversation. Jesus looked up at him a second time. Peter, do you love me? Peter said, answered the second time, well, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Okay. Jesus looked at him one more time and said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? I think he's talking about the other guys. Because remember, Peter, though all these should deny thee, all of that was ripped out of Peter. There was no more of that. I'm more spiritual than everybody else. And it was all, lovest thou me more than these. The Bible says in John chapter 21, Peter was grieved in his heart that he asked him the third time. He wasn't grieved at Jesus. He was grieved at his heart because he knew he'd failed. Knew that he had disappointed him. And he knew that the Savior had sought him out. And here's Jesus one more time having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter. And all these other guys are looking at him. By the way, every time Peter answered him, Jesus had one more answer for Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. I'm not done with you, Peter. Go out and tell people about me. Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you. And Peter, let's go to work. It was a purifying love. From, from the resurrection on, from, from John chapter 21 forward, you see a brand new Peter. You don't see an arrogant Peter. You don't see a proud Peter. You don't see a Peter acting like he's better than anybody else. You don't see a critical Peter. You, you, you don't see any of that. You just see a man standing up saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how wonderful Jesus is. Let me tell you about the resurrection. Let me tell you about the cross. And you just see Peter winning people to Christ and everywhere he went, trying to encourage people. And he learned to win the Gentiles to Christ and the Samaritans to Christ. And, and Peter's opening the gates of the gospel to the entire world. And you see a man who is brand new because of the love of God. There are some Peters in this room who need today to just let your past go and realize that's what God's already done because he loves you. There's some Peters that have failed and you can't seem to get away from that. Would you understand he loves you and that didn't change and that means his mercy is right there for you. 
There are some Peters who think I don't measure up. God said, you never did. I didn't care about that. I just love you. It's not do I love God. I should. We love him because why? First loved us. That's really not the question, do I love God. This morning it's all about God loves me. And Wednesday night into Thursday morning, I laid, realizing sleep wasn't coming, and I was just letting this thought tell his disciples and Peter wash over me, and I just lay in there crying, just so glad, so humbled that Jesus loves me. I want you to listen to a song, the end of which we're going to have an invitation. The invitation is, if you're not saved, you're rejecting the greatest gift of love that God's ever offered you. Make today the day you get it settled. If you've been away, don't, don't let your fear of God keep you away from him. Let the love of God draw you back. If you're discouraged and downhearted and defeated, would you just revel today in the fact God loves me and I don't have to earn it. I don't have to buy it. I don't have to keep it and I can't lose it. Because Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Adam sang this song a couple of weeks ago. One of the greatest songs expressing the love of God. I want you to let it sink into your heart. By the way, if while he's singing, you feel that the altar is the place you ought to come, you come. You come. There are times we just need to stop and realize I can't believe he loves me, but I'm so glad he does. Brother Adam, would you sing for us?